0: Hello, and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Deeply
1: Technical series. This is Robert Blumen. I am a DevOps engineer at Salesforce. My guest today is Matthew Myers. Matthew is a principal PKI engineer at Salesforce, and we will be talking about running a certificate authority within a single enterprise. Matthew, welcome to Kodish.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: For the purpose of this podcast, we're going to assume that listeners are roughly familiar with PKI and certificate authorities. We're going to be focusing on running a certificate authority within a single business. I'm going to ask a two-part question. What is a enterprise CA, and why would an organization want to become a CA?
0: Short version: CA is going to be anything that's issuing certificates that's going to be trusted you know, internally within a organizational boundary. You know, not stuff that's going to be readily accessible or viewable or even trusted on the public internet. You know, to kind of keep it short. Like, why somebody would like want to do that in the first place is basically trying to become like the master of your own universe sort of thing. You know, like if you have internal resources that need to be able to trust each other, but you don't want that information anywhere accessible on the public internet, you know, you want to be able to maintain control of things that trust each other. That's usually when you start looking at having uh, internal certificate authority or, you know, internal PKI so that you can actually like establish a internal trust, right? So if you have a, you know, internal servers that you want to be able to trust each other but do not want to trust another set of servers, like internal certificate authorities is a good way to accomplish that. Yeah, you know, like providing a proof of identity for like individual node servers, people, services, all kinds of things.
1: You could tell all the employees who operate these different services, everyone just take your credit card, go out to VeriSign or GoDaddy, and buy certificates there. Why would the company take this service in-house?
0: It it's really comes down to like a, a matter of uh, control and privacy. So if you, if you go take your you know, credit card, you go to a public certificate authority and say, hey, hey, I want all these certificates. A, it could be really expensive if you're talking about any significant volume. You know, and B, like all of that information that is being put on those certificates in order to make them valid, also gets disclosed to the internet at large if people know where to look. I mean, it gets printed on the certificates themselves. All the information gets logged to certificate transparency logs, and just the general volume of of certificates, especially like the larger enterprise gets, the the larger your certificates get, get base gets, and you know, depending on what your business looks like, I mean, you can be talking about thousands, millions, or even billions of certificates, and paying somebody else on that per-certificate basis to issue those certificates for you, aside from you know just being a huge volume for any public CA to try to take on, that's that could be extremely expensive, even if you're looking at using something like Let's Encrypt, which is a free public certificate authority there's there's like limitations there as well, right? So like Let's Encrypt can only give you a certificate for a public DNS entry that you can prove you're actually using at the time. And for a large organization or an enterprise, a lot of that those DNS entries are on the local network. There's no public exposure. So you can't just hit Let's Encrypt and say, give me a certificate for this thing that Let's Encrypt can actually see, right? So it gives you a way to you know manage the certificate life cycle yourself instead of putting that reliance on somebody else and also it gives you a lot of uh flexibility on how you issue the certificates how frequently you issue them what names or naming conventions you put on them that may or may not align with standards that public CAs have to uh align with and and you can have like absolute control over what actually does get issued and who it gets issued to and how long they have it and everything else that goes along with it.
1: You mentioned that the need for these certificates is you have resources within your enterprise and they need to know who to trust. Give some examples of the different kinds of resources that would need to have a trust relationship with other resources.
0: Like an internal uh, like exchange or an email server or something like that. Right, like If you have your own on-prem or private cloud type of situation where, like, you have an email server and you have people connecting to it to get their email, like, you would like to know that this is your email server, right? Not somebody else's. And if they have a public certificate on it, you can, like, evaluate the certificate and try to determine that. But at the same time, if you control the trust on both sides, you can, like, empirically prove that this, this is a connection that is, like, safe for these computers to connect to. So if you have like multiple internal CAs, right? So like when you do manage your own internal PKI, you can go in and you can effectively have as many CAs as you can afford to maintain. And you can separate them by use case. You can separate them by environment. What you can ultimately end up do, doing is creating trust boundaries within your own organization. So like if you have, let's say you have a network that does a lot of financial type of information. You want those systems to be able to talk to each other and trust each other, but you don't want them to be able to openly communicate with something that, say, is like your end user environment. Like You want to keep those two things separate and have them in separate trust boundaries, if not complete separate network boundaries. And you don't want them to be able to communicate so you can you know, establish trust in one area and all these systems can talk to each other, but they can't talk to anything else because when they try to access those systems to get a certificate that chains up to a different certificate authority that they don't have an explicit trust for. So the communication fails. So it's, it's a good way to kind of like separate things that should talk to each other from things that shouldn't.
1: What I understand there is you could segment your organization into different trust domains, and then you would distribute the root certificates out on an as needed basis for resources that belong to uh, one or maybe more trust domains for the things they should trust, but not for everything. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. So with larger enterprises in particular, and, and the larger they get, the more likely it is to happen that you have, you end up with like multiple internal private routes and like each one of those root certificates would represent, you know, different trust boundaries or trust domains. And, and you can have, you can have overlap with anything, right? But the the idea in those cases like is you have a certain number of systems or networks or whatever that are allowed to trust each other within those boundaries and then other ones that are not so like you can end up with this almost like an inception sort of thing where you have like micro uh, networks or trust boundaries within larger trust boundaries where things can trust each other but not other things and it can get complicated but at a at a fairly basic level maintaining like independent separate routes from each other allows you to have like an explicit separation of trust between different systems for whatever reasons there may be. Right. But a lot of times like, like, okay, maybe a more practical example would be like a test environment versus a production environment. A test environment is going to be a lot more looser with the things that are allowed to go on in there. And the assurance of the certificates by, by that very nature is going to be a lot lower. So you could be a lot freer with how you issue certificates and manage certificates in a tr- in a test environment, but you don't wanna have that you wanna have a much higher level of assurance and a much more strict means of getting certificates and managing certificates in production. Because like you wanna make sure that production is very valid and very, you know, you have like a tight grip on what is what in production, whereas in tests it might be a little bit looser. So, and you want to keep those two things separated. So, you don't, uh, a root CA that you use for your test environment should not be distributed in a production environment.
1: I want to highlight a point. As a home user of the public internet, my main interaction with PKI is it's going to ensure that if my browser says I'm on a certain website, that website has offered me a certificate that's been signed by an authority that I trust. Usually, if you're willing to jump through some hoops, it would still let me visit a website that did not present a valid certificate. So it's mainly something that gives confidence to the user. It sounds to me like you're talking about many cases here, which is software to software trust, where there isn't a user, there's no way for the user to say, Oh, I trust this anyway. It's very strict and it's computer to computer.
0: So for an internal PKI, you can have a lot of use cases and some of them can involve people, some of them can involve systems. When you look at the large the, the vast bulk of certificates that get issued off of an internal PKI system or systems. A lot of those certificates end up going to towards like system to system communication where you do want to have some like automatic validation in place that the system you're talking to is the one that you're supposed to be talking to. And if you define them correctly, computers are pretty good at identifying like, is this actually who I'm supposed to be talking to? If it is, great, let's just keep going and, and don't slow down. But you also have a lot of use cases that do involve people as well. But like like internal websites, like you know, your HR portal. For example, if you're like hosting it on-prem, could very easily have an internal certificate that's going to be viewed in a browser. Um, that, that's still very much a, a thing, but there's not as much value there because you could just as easily put a public certificate in that space as long as the DNS is something that a public CA would issue to. You know, so it really depends on how you set those things up internally. But what I frequently see in the user space is more for authentication tokens like uh, smart cards, right? That's very much a user certificate. A human being gets that certificate and it identifies them as a person. And a lot of uh, smart card authentication still goes through a browser. So you could still end up getting all kinds of you know, certificate errors and stuff if something doesn't get set up correctly like in a situation where you have somebody that's issuing like millions of certificates a year, like I'd say at a bare minimum, 75% of those are probably going to be for system to system communications. And, and sometimes this stuff isn't even across the network, like it's within an app talking to itself or to, to another application or something. But a lot of these certificates are just used to verify that the thing that you're talking to is, is, Genuine and actually a part of your your corporation or part of your network, and you know you try to reduce the the likelihood that you're talking to something that's been compromised if it's got a legitimate certificate on it there's always ways around that if you if you want to, but it's like you're, you're trying to increase the assurance that the thing that you're talking to is the thing that you want to be talking to, and people have you know a brain ratt- rattle- rattling around in their head, hopefully, and you know, and if something doesn't smell right, they can always stop. Systems don't necessarily have that, so you have to find ways to narrow their scope of what's acceptable, and using certificates is a fairly good way to do that.
1: There's something which I've always thought was a hole in the way PKI works. If I'm the home user, I visit the website, it presents a certificate, my browser's okay with it. What that means is I had a certificate in my root store that could be chained back to one of the root certificates in my root store. I listen to Security Now podcast and they have a running joke about how there's now 500 root certificates in Windows and some of them are from very small countries or agencies, Mm -hmm. government agencies in very small countries. And there's not a lot in theory that would prevent the uh, public bus authority of Ruritania from issuing a certificate for Salesforce.com. Now, I understand there's been an attempt to patch that, but it seems to me in an enterprise you could have somewhat more control. Is there a way of managing, even if you have multiple CAs within your organization, saying not only do you only trust this other server, if it can prevent you a certificate for which you have, a root certificate but it must be this particular root certificate
0: yeah you can you can absolutely do it. I mean you can actually take it a step farther inside of a corporation and, and micromanage the public root certificates that you allow your systems to trust as well but looking at a like internal private Pki like, if you have multiple root certificates like you ultimately have direct control over which systems get those root certificates and are allowed to establish trust. And um, it's actually like a really like trust or management is really super important when you're dealing with your own internal PKI systems, because what you don't want to do is just create a root and then take that that root and just distribute it to everything everywhere. Especially if you have multiples, because like the ma- biggest reason to have multiples is to have defined trust boundaries. So you want to be very clear about where these end up, but at the same time, you want to make sure that everything that needs it has it. All right, it's kind of like a, it's almost like a double edged sword, right? You have to be very, you know, purposeful in your distribution of of the root certificates. And if everything is following TLS standards and and whatnot, like you should really only have to distribute a root certificate. But what is commonly the case is, you know, people will set up a service or whatever, and they offer the the leaf certificate or the end entity certificate, and they don't include the chain. And then you end up with a gap, right? Especially if you have – like if your internal PKI is a, like a three-tier PKI or honestly even with a two-tier, if you don't include the issuing CAs or the, or the middle intermediate CAs and your systems don't have a way to identify that the certificate they're being presented – change up to the route. So what you end up having to do is not just distribute the root, but you also have to distribute all the issuing CAs too. I, I like to try to avoid that when I can because it creates a lot of administrative overhead to not just distribute a very long-lived route, but then also having to manage the renewal and rotation of all the individual issuing CAs and getting them distributed everywhere is, is kind of a challenge. But you can be very defined in who's allowed to trust what. Right, so that you can have the separations, and you can make sure that any browser, or any service, or you know anything that is within your you know corporation or whatever to trust these certificates actually can. You know, cause like just because you create a root certificate doesn't mean anybody's going to trust it unless you actually do the due diligence and and distribute it amongst all the trust stores. And there's there's lots of ways to do that. You know, it really kind of depends on what tools you have at your disposal, but Trust store management is absolutely like a significant part of, of effectively managing a PKI anywhere, whether it's public or private.
1: I want to now change directions a bit and talk about the workflows and lifecycle to get these certificates issued to these thousands, millions, or billions of resources that need them. If we're talking these big numbers, it can't be some kind of manual process or it can't be entirely manual. How do these resources obtain certificates, and how do they prove who they are to the CA?
0: That is a ever evolving and oftentimes complicated thing to solve for. Um, like sometimes I'm honestly a little bit jealous of public CAs and their ability to, to validate certificate requests for other people. Because you know, on the public internet, it's pretty simple. You either control something in DNS or at an organizational level, or you don't there's like standard rules around that for public CAs, but for internal, it gets a lot more complicated, you know? So ideally, like you want to have as little human involvement as you, as you can, but at the same time, you have to be very cautious about the types of certificates that get issued because certificates can be very dangerous if they are issued too broadly, like in the case of a wildcard certificate, which can be used for, any number of of things. And if it gets compromised can be equally as dangerous. You know, since there's no like real rules about what kind of certificates you can issue internally, you also need to basically create a rule set saying that like, we're not going to issue an internal certificate that can be used to represent an actual third party somewhere else. Like, like I don't want to issue a certificate that says Google.com on it internally unless you know we have a very specific reason to do so right so you have to create some like artificial constraints on what gets issued and sometimes that's done through like white listing or whatever but like when it comes to actually identifying like who's who when it comes to certificates if you have a central identity store that's really beneficial right um because then you can your your pki infrastructure works in tandem with your identity store to to correlate like if somebody comes to me and says like i'm this service or i'm this person that we can map it to somewhere else like active directory or whatever and verify separately from the request that this person or service is who they say they are then it gets, it's much easier at that point to give them that certificate um in addition to that like uh Like you have request authorities or RAs in the mix with, you know, CAs and everything else to actually form the larger PKI implementation that you're working with. And RAs a lot of times will have a mapping to say that this identity is allowed to issue certificates for these fully qualified domain names or this subdomain or whatever. And you have an ownership mapping that says, like, this thing is... I'll do this thing. And that usually involves some sort of initial onboarding process, you know, to say, like, I want to be able to issue certificates in this category, and then you can evaluate say, okay. And then going forward, it's just an automated process until something needs to change. In other use cases, like with uh, smart cards, you know, when smart cards can be used to like identify like enterprise admins and that sort of thing, it's usually a much more manual process because you want to, be absolutely sure that the person you're giving the smart card to is, actually is who they say they are. Like uh, sometimes somebody would actually come in physically to like a help desk type of situation, give them a driver's license and say, Hey, I really am me. They would take that, you know, see what they have on file in their HR system or their identity store, or whatever, verify, it, and then provision them a smart card and physically hand it to them. There's also in the world of Let's Encrypt, you know, they, they, implement, they came up with the Acme Protocol, which is you know, basically if you prove you have ownership of this one point in DNS, we just automatically give you a certificate, no more validation required. And that's becoming increasingly popular inside of private networks too, because it's less overhead. If somebody has something within DNS on your internal network, and it's not a high risk area like a Kubernetes cluster or something like that, something that's going to be fairly ephemeral, short-lived, whatever, they could say, like, you have that thing in DNS, here's your certificate. We'll see you again in 30 or 90 days or whatever for your next one. And then just churn through them. So there's not like a one-size-fits-all answer for any of these things, right? It's It's all going to depend on, like, what it is you're actually trying to accomplish. But having some sort of, like, identity mapping is super important because at the end of the day, you know you're giving certificates to people system services and those things have to expire and you need to have an owner an ownership there because like as like a pki owner it's really hard to be the responsible for that certificate that entire certificates life cycle from request to issuance to renewal without that counterpart being involved too because like a lot of times you may not have access to wherever that certificate is getting installed so you still have to have a relationship with the other person and say hey look your thing's going to expire soon if you don't take care of it, there's a very real likelihood we're going to either impact one of our customers, you know, another team that we're aligned with or whatever. So
1: it's a ever-evolving process, to say the least. Suppose my team were launching a new product, it's the ABC service. I go to your group, we need a certificate so that other software that accesses our API can validate us. You look up abc.salesforce.com, we have that subdomain. It's all good. But now, didn't we create the same problem that the DNS management, they had to be sure that we really own this product before they gave us DNS because somebody needs to do some validation. And maybe that means the requests that are made are made on company systems and the person has a company email or different validations that this thing is real.
0: You definitely have a chicken egg problem sometimes when it comes to validating that somebody can or should get certain certificates, and depending on how restricted the environment may be when it comes to the certificates that are being issued, sometimes like if the person who's or person who's like trying to onboard for this particular certificate for this particular service has a valid identity for your organization, sometimes you just kind of take the word for it and say, look, the the thing that you're asking for falls within our standards, so have at it. And in that case, it becomes really important to make sure your certificate standards are actually really clear about what is and what isn't allowed, right? So like wildcards, for example, like it's really common to have restrictions on who can get wildcards and for what purpose and how the keys are managed and all that stuff. And And, you know, like what you are willing to issue a certificate for what you're not willing to issue a certificate for. You know, like in the case of you don't want to issue certificates for third-party companies if you're not doing some sort of SSL decryption and you want to be really clear that people shouldn't be asking you for those sort of certificates. You know, just be upfront about it, then you don't have to deal with it later. But yes, sometimes if the, the DNS is already there and you validate that the identity of the person making the request is illegitimate, then... It's really just a matter of just giving it to them. They've already kind of passed those initial barriers of, like, I am who I say I am. And this thing that I'm asking for, a certificate for, already exists in the DNS record. So there's not a lot of additional validation that necessarily needs to be done in a general network setting. Now, like, if you have, like, a really high-risk area, that might be different. You might want to do some additional validation. But it's really going to depend on what's at risk with the certificates that you're issuing.
1: Most servers, when they boot up, there might be a flag or a setting that you read in a config file that says, here's where to look for the trust store. The trust store is a directory that would contain certificates. In these days where infrastructure is code and DevOps, generally you'd be provisioning these systems and the infrastructure they run on through some kind of a terraformer infrastructure as code. So that's one end of the process. Now. The other end is I went to PKI Group. I said, we're launching the ABC server. You issue the certificates. How do the certificates get from you issue them? Do you email them to me? Do you put them somewhere? How do they get from where you issued them to where the server is booting up and it can find all the certificates that it needs to run?
0: The ideal solution is that you have like an API somewhere where you consume the CSR that somebody generated, and the private key should be created on the system that is intended for? Right? Because like at the end of the day, the 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 biggest risk with any certificate, whether it's internal or external, is the private key. So it doesn't always work out this way, but ideally, you know, Like if you're spinning up a an instance somewhere no matter how ephemeral or long-term it may be, you generate the private key either on the system or in some sort of a secret vault or key vault that that system has access to. So that that private key isn't just floating around between systems. And, and you definitely don't want to email a private key like, Oh my God, please don't do that. I, we, I've had to revoke so many certificates because if somebody's emailed me a private key or they've put it in Slack or they've put it anywhere that it wasn't supposed to be. Like I, can't even begin to tell you how many times that's happened. But like I said, I, ideally you should have some sort of an accessible API where people can either use uh, use a token or something to authenticate and say, here's my certificate request, my CSR, you know, please apply this template to it or whatever, sign it and send it back. And, you, and try to make that as streamlined as you possibly can. There, there's lots of ways that, that can end up looking over time. You can have a RA You know, Venify that can have an agent or something on one end that does some of that for them and tries to kind of smooth out that process or, you know, has a process to generate the key somewhere and retrieve it in a relatively secure way for the system that's intended for. There's lots of ways that can take shape, but generally speaking, don't move private keys around. And then, however, you want to exchange that CSR and that public key is whatever works best for you. Like in a really small shop, yeah, you could totally email a CSR if you wanted to. Just don't email the private key. Larger enterprises, like, trying to do that over email is just not going to be sustainable, right, especially in large volumes of certificates. So leveraging, like, common enrollment protocols like Acme or some sort of, like, REST API or, you know, if you want to go old school, you can do SCEP. Don't recommend it, but you could. You know, there's, there's options there. So really depends on what your appetite for risk is at the end of the day you know depending on which protocols you want to support for certificate enrollment but there's a lot of options but trying to remove the human element as much as possible is ideal right so sometimes an agent is a good way to do that sometimes just relying on your system admins or developers to generate a key on their side and just ship the csr what have you yeah but the the more widely used a I guess, environment, the the more important it is to have some sort of automation in place for systems at the very least.
1: What that might look like then is when you issue the private key, you might put it in some sort of secure enclave or something like Amazon Key Management Server, and the Terraform code would run with some authorization that it can extract that particular item from key management store while it's running and stick it in the location where the application expects to find it. So no person might ever touch that private key in the process of it getting where it needs to go. Yeah.
0: So like if you can use a system that can like closely associate a a private key with a identity mapping of some sort, then you know having a common key management service or something along those lines where, you, where a, a system can go retrieve this key when it needs it and you use it for its purposes and then put it back when it's done and keep the person out of the loop would be ideal. Like, this is definitely one of those things where less hands in the cookie jar is a good thing. But having said that, there, there's varying degrees of what that looks like. You know, and so some certificates have a much higher value than than others, right? So, in the whole wildcard situation where you have like a private key for a wildcard certificate or for a CA certificate or a code signing certificate are very like high value private keys. General key management system may not provide adequate protections for the value of that, that private key. In which case using like a HSM service where that, the key is not going to be exportable and all the cryptographic operations have to happen within that HSM might be, a better solution for the key in particular. So a lot of times what you end up with is during like an onboarding process, you have to evaluate what are these certificates actually going to be used for? What kind of services are they going to be protecting? And then, and then make sure that whoever's actually going to be consuming that certificate or offering that certificate as part of their communications or signing operations or whatever have the right protections in place for what that thing is actually going to be used for. Like not every certificate that gets issued within an internal or private PKI is just going to be for TLS. There's tons and tons of things that go on that are not just TLS certificates that still are the responsibility of whoever is maintaining the PKI systems.
1: What sort of a lifespan are you y- using for these certificates? So
0: <laughs> it, that varies as well. You know, so generally speaking – if you have like an end entity certificate, uh, a year or less is the generally the recommended approach for that. Um, CA certificates have to live longer by by the very nature because like you can't have a certificate authority issuing a certificate that exceeds its own validity. So certificate authorities will be good for two, three, four, five possibly longer, depending on what it is, years at a time. And but the actual certificates in the environment that are floating around getting installed places and facilitating connections or validations or whatever are, you know, usually a year or less. Like if it's something like a Kubernetes cluster where things are constantly getting spun up and spun down, you don't want to issue something that's going to be good for a year because then there's a potential that you're going to have a certificate that's not actually associated with anything in the wild for much longer than it's needed so uh, having uh, a service that can offer ephemeral certificates or you know certificates that are only good for very very short periods of time like 24 hours 48 hours a week 30 days churning through those at a high rate ensures that when you have services that are very dynamic that those certificates die off at a very quick rate and you're not left with a bunch of valid certificates that you can't account for. You want to make sure that your inventory of valid certificates can be accounted for. And you want to know like, this is how many certificates we have in the wild at any given time. And if you're dynamically issuing certificates and you're not rapidly expiring those certificates, that's going to end up being a astronomically high volume of valid certificates that you won't be able to account for and not being able to account for certificates is, like you have to assume that they get compromised at some point, because if you can't account for them, then you don't know.
1: What do you mean by, by can't
0: account for them? If you ask for a certificate, I give you a certificate and then you go and install it and you decommission the system. And we cannot, locate that the certificate is actually being used anymore, then the question becomes, well, you've still got like eight months of validity left on the certificate, where is it? And if you don't, you can't say like, well, it was on the system and this system was decommissioned. Like if you can't actually like attest to what happened to it, then the assumption when it comes to certificates is like, if you don't know where it is, then somebody else has it. And if somebody else has mm-hmm. it, then it's compromised. And what does that actually mean?
1: That's great. That ties into something else I wanted to ask, which is Within the enterprise where you can have more controls on things, are you in a position where you can monitor at some degree maybe every usage of a certificate or you put some requirements in place that every system has to have something that phones home once a day and says, here's all the certificates that I'm still using or anything like that? Sort of. Like, so it's almost impossible to have
0: 100% monitoring for every certificate and every use case we try we're always trying to get to 100% but it's really difficult to do that cuz like not everything is sitting on a network port you know not everything is sitting somewhere where an agent can scan the trust stores or the you know key stores or whatever but the the idea is that you know in a relatively enclosed ecosystem like a lot of our companies are operating in even if it's in you know public cloud you still you still have like a defined IP space and, you have defined port ranges where things are going to be living on. And, you know, you have scanning engines that go out and they say like, they will scan. I I don't recommend scanning the full like 64,000 port range because you'll never finish. Right. But like you identify common ports and you go out and you scan them and you say like, so here's all the certificates that we know that we issued and they're, they're on these IP addresses and these ports and what have you. And then you can also have, like locally installed agents that do the same thing for certificates that you can't scan on the network and they identify that they're on these systems and they're in these key stores. And and then you basically have a huge compilation of serial numbers and issuers that'll kind of map back to your RAs and CAs and say, these are all the certificates that we know that we issued and this is where that we have proven that they're installed. And then here's all the ones we don't know about. And that hopefully, you know, like as time goes on, that list that you don't know about gets smaller and smaller and smaller as you get better you know, validation mechanisms in place to go determine where everything's at. It's a never-ending game of a like cat and mouse sort of thing. But, um, but those systems also have an, an, another side effect of being able to identify all the certificates that you didn't know about. Because, like, even if you have a policy to say, like, you know, thou shalt get all of your certificates from us, not everybody's going to do that. You know, you'll have self-signed certificates. You'll have people that will take their corporate card and go out to GoDaddy and get some random certificate and it somewhere, even though they shouldn't have, but they did. You know, so it gives you a way to corral your, all the miscellaneous certificates in the environment and try to make sure that you're all adhering to the same set of, like, standards and, you know, principles and everything else. A
1: little while ago, you mentioned... Revocation, somebody pasted the public key into Slack or it's considered to be compromised. Maybe you issued it and you don't know where it is. With the public internet, it struck me that the whole system wasn't really designed to enable revocation. So you have these add-ons like CRLs and OCSP stapling. How do you revoke something in your enterprise CA? So revocation
0: in general, is not a perfect system, right? which is why, you know, for internet-based certificates, you have Google trying to kind of push everybody away from revocation and using some other means to prove the validity of certificates to different effect. Um, but internally, in environments where you have a little more control, like the the method for revoking something is still the same. Like if you want to revoke a certificate, like you still take that serial number to the CA and say, and revoke it, creates a CRL. The CRL has to be, you know, hosted on a web service somewhere. And ironically, not using HTTPS because if you put a certificate in the path of verification, then you have the very high potential to create this chicken egg situation where you can't check the validity of a certificate because you can't validate the certificate in the way of the CRL. That's hilarious. Yeah, you try to avoid having certificates in your certificate lifecycle, at least when it comes to revocation anyway but to guess kind of get to the point you now you still have the same systems for revocation for internal that you would on the public internet so you still have crls you still have ocsp responders um, if you have ocsp responders then you can enable service owners to have ocsp stapling and like there's this uh, misconception that i keep running into that people think that ocsp stapling is the responsibility of the ocsp responder when it really isn't it's, almost the opposite. So like a service owner would query the OCSP responder on behalf of its own certificate, get a signed response from the responder and then provide it to whoever's checking in, which is a super helpful thing to do by the way. Like it's, it's awesome when people actually are able to do that because like it reduces the load on the, the servers that you're hosting their services on to provide to the revocation checks and everything else. But just kind of makes everything faster because right? like one of the things when you're managing the revocation infrastructure for as part of a PKI implementation, to keep in mind is that if you're doing it correctly, you're inserting yourself in the middle of every single TLS handshake that happens, right? Because everything needs to validate that the certificates we're talking to are genuine, Yeah, you know, So when you have a very real possibility of slowing down other people's connections in an attempt to validate that their connections are genuine, you want to make sure that you're, your infrastructure that's actually supporting that is positioned in such a way that you are providing those responses as quickly as possible. Like Network latency becomes a very real thing at that point. The whole five nines thing really comes into play, right? Because like if um, somebody is trying to check the the revocation status of a certificate and they can't, then there's this whole cascading series of things that can happen depending on how clients are configured and everything else. Like connections could time out. If, you know, they're designed to fail open, they will eventually carry on as if nothing happened, but there's a tremendous slowdown. And if they're designed to fail closed, then stuff just stops working. And in more extreme cases, if you have CRLs that themselves are expired because for whatever reason you didn't get a fresh CRL posted fast enough, everything is treated like it's revoked and everything just stops working. It's a very precarious position to be in. But at the same time, if you don't provide revocation services, you have absolutely no way to verify that the certificate that you are trusting in your connection is actually like genuine and that you should trust it. For an internal PKI situation, it's really important to be able to, you know, validate the certificate that you're consuming is actually genuine. Assuming the, that you're using the certificate for more than just encryption and TLS. Like if that's all you're after, then PKI is a lot of overhead just to do encryption for TLS, you know, but assuming that the identity of the thing that you're talking to is important to you, then having revocation is also important. You know, going back to your question, if uh, like if I wake up tomorrow morning and another person has put a private key into Slack again for some reason, then we have to go revoke that certificate. But if there's no revocation mechanism in place and there's no way for us to tell people that you cannot trust the certificate, especially in a large deployment, right? Like if if you're only dealing with a couple hundred computers like you you can probably go blacklist a certificate and say like if you see the certificate do not trust it. It's not that simple, but on a larger scale it's it's impossible to do that, especially if you have like a CA compromise. You know, it's almost impossible to like rip and replace a CA quickly, but you could do if you had revocation in place.
1: We're hearing more about supply chain attacks. There was one that came out within the last couple of weeks. Uh it was called something like package confusion. You mentioned code signing. Is that an important use case for PKI within enterprise? Yeah, very much so.
0: Even if you don't take the internal PKI component into effect, like code signing by itself is really important to make sure that you do correctly. The private key management is like really critical when it comes to that. So if you use the internal PKI for it, that kind of gives you the flexibility to sign your own code and kind of eat your own dog food, so to speak. But you don't have to worry about somebody outside of your organization trusting that code. Or maybe more specifically, you don't have to rely on somebody else's code signing for your own stuff. Like I've seen situations where like all of Microsoft's patches get re-signed by a company because they only want to trust one code signing key and having to... that trust to microsoft even though microsoft has a fairly good track record but even microsoft has had some fairly public mishaps right you know hp had some there's been lots of stuff in the news where code signing keys were mishandled and the consequences of that were really disastrous right so whether you use internal pki to to do code signing or use a public code signing certificate having a really rock solid means of protecting those private keys is super important. But, you know, like I said, using an internal PKI to support code signing gives you more granular control over like who actually trusts that code. Like if you have point of sale systems right, you could have code that gets deployed to those point of sale systems that is signed with one particular code signing key. And, and if it's signed by any other code signing key, it's not valid. Right. it gives you some some kind of granular control over that, and and you have direct control over the CAs CA that it issued it. So if it needs to be revoked, there's no haggling with a public CA. You don't have to reach out to your customer and say, "So this thing happened." And oops, you can kind of internalize some of that a little bit and 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 manage the risk a little bit more than you could if you had a public code signing certificate. Public code signing certificates are more dangerous in their very existence because they are trusted by everybody, especially if you like Microsoft, for example, has a reputation system that they have for code signing. Like the longer it's in the environment, the more trusted builds and the the more it's just like openly trusted by everybody else. If you have a public code signing certificate that gets that level of assurance with everybody and then it gets compromised, it's not good. But if it's internal code signing certificate, that's completely within your wheelhouse to manage, right? You don't have to rely on about reputation system. You don't have to rely on mitigating the fallout from that outside of your own corporate network.
1: For the last question, I want to talk about how you build this thing. Startup, two guys in a garage, they can take their credit card, go to GoDaddy. At some point, companies big enough, they need to start setting up these. Are there existing either open source servers or Do the commercial CAs offer a hosted type solution to run in the enterprise? Or do you have to build it all from scratch? There's a lot of choices
0: there. You can pretty much pick and choose how you want to approach that one. You could absolutely write something yourself if you want to. Like OpenSSL is a pretty good baseline for just doing some very rudimentary certificate stuff. Like you can absolutely build a CA with OpenSSL, if you choose to do so, there's fairly full-featured open-source products out there that have a lot of capability to them. Like a eGBCA is a good open-source like CA platform that has a lot of components to it, and there's also an enterprise version of that that you can pay for support through, I believe, it's PrimeKey if you wish. If like if you're a Microsoft house. You probably have access to like uh ADCS, which is a component of Windows Server that you can install and operate as certificate authority that way. Uh I think Cloudflare's got CFSSL. There's you know, choices between paid versus open source versus roll your own. If you really want to, um, I don't really recommend the roll your own approach because there's a there's an awful lot of like gotchas when it comes to certificates and RFCs and everything else about how certificates should be managed and operated and, and all the things that you can and can't do with certificates. Like there's a lot of like very clear defined rules around that stuff. And personally, I'd much rather go with a solution where a lot of that's already been worked out than trying to do it myself. Yeah, you know, when it comes to creating a CA regardless of the software platform that you choose to run it on, like a lot of the the really critical functions come down to private key storage which I realize I've said it a few times already for different things, but it's really important for CAs. Like you want to have an absolute rock solid means of saying this private key has not been tampered with. It has not been compromised. It has not been exposed in any way. Like the only thing that's allowed to interact with this private key is the certificate authority itself. And if you're doing an enterprise PKI for any sort of like large-scale effort, you really wanna invest in some HSMs at that point to to make sure that you've got a good audible, solid way to do that. And you also want to do it in such a way where nobody can really question how the the private keys are created or how the CAs are managed or everything else. So like you have this kind of concept of like, you know, crypto officers and quorums where you have to have like a bare minimum Of a certain number of people to do anything like you want to avoid like any sort of like collusion or, you know, I just went off by myself and made this thing. But so you have to trust me when it comes to creating certificate authorities, you don't want to trust it just because somebody said you can trust me. Like if somebody walked up to you in the street and said, Trust me because I asked you to, like you're not going to trust them and you shouldn't, and it's with a certificate authority either. Like you should be able to ask for evidence of how this thing was created, and whoever maintains a PKI should be able to provide the evidence to show that this is how this thing was done securely and auditably, and there's a track record of everything that's ever done with it. And you know, that can all be evaluated by an auditor or a third party or whoever to say that, like, yes, the, the there is a, a reasonable degree of assurance in this private key or there isn't. So creating a, a root CA on a laptop without an HSM that could, just gets stuck into a desk drawer somewhere that anybody can come and get to, very, very low bar of assurance, right, because there's not a lot of protections there. Something that was created in a, for all intents and purposes, a clean room with no electronic devices aside from the laptop and an HSM, and that thing is like locked up in a safe that takes like three people to get into, it's a much higher bar. Yeah, you know, there's a lot more like assurance and trust that can be placed into the certificate authority. So at the end of the day, it really depends on what you care about. Like, if just having a certificate authority to issue certificates is all you're really concerned about, then yeah, you know, HSM is probably gonna be more more money than really worth investing in. Yeah. You know? But if you're trying to have high value certificates and have certificates that are trustworthy and that can like actually mean something, then you're gonna have to invest a fair amount of time, energy, resources, and ultimately money in making sure that that exists and that is provable. It's like any of your public Publicly trusted certificate authorities have a very rigorous process that they have to go through before their root certificate ends up in your trust store for Chrome or Firefox or whatever. Like it has to be very explicit and very provable. Like they can't, they don't just take people's word for it.
1: Matthew, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for speaking to Kodish. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Kodish podcast. Kodish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Kodish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.